Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. All right. So life, life, what's been, we haven't been on for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think last time we were on, we, uh, we talked with Quinn. Oh man. Yeah. yeah. That was a while ago. I was still trying not to cough then. I'm, I still have a little bit of a cough, but it's like only, only in the morning. So once my alarm goes off, I start coughing and then that is my wife's alarm. It's me coughing. So yeah. <laughs> pretty reliable alarm. It is. It's pretty grand. Uh, especially she really likes it because I usually wake up about an hour before my alarm goes off and I start coughing at 5 a.m. Yeah, she loves me. Uh, oh, yeah. And then I went on vacation <laughs> to Myrtle Beach. Well, south of Myrtle Beach. And just sat in the sand and really barely thought about code for a week, which is really weird for me. Sounds amazing. It was kind of amazing. Okay. I finished a book that I had been trying to read for a year. Mm-hmm. And that was awesome. I like felt super accomplished. I told my wife, I was like, I just want to finish this book. Like, I don't want to do anything. I just want to finish this book. <laughs> it was uh, Providence yeah. by Max Berry. Oh, cool. Uh, Max Berry is one of my I'm favorite a, authors. That's great. I, I'm taking PTO next week, too. And I'm my my goal for, for vacation time, because I'm not going anywhere fun like that. I actually wish I were going to Myrtle Beach. That sounds awesome. Uh, but, uh, is to finish reading a book. That's my main thing. Do you have a book in mind? Yeah. Um, I've already started it. Uh, it's called invisible storm by Jason Kander. Last time you and I saw each other in person, I mentioned it to you. Um, but, uh, Jason Kander is, um, local, uh, political figure in Kansas city. And, uh, toward the end of, um, Barack Obama's presidency, he was on this list of potential presidential candidates. Um, and he ended up running for mayor of Kansas city, um, but dropped out, uh, because, uh, he had PTSD, uh, after serving in Afghanistan. Um, and he'd been ignoring it for a good six years or so. Um, but it just, it came to be too much. And so he dropped out of the race and went into the VA and checked himself into the psych ward. That was tough. I mean, checking yourself into any psych ward is tough, but I was in the military for a long time. I know how this VA works. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're a better VA than they used to be. I'll give them. Yeah. So that sounds like an interesting, you'll have to, you'll have to fill me in and tell me if I should read it whenever you're done. Uh, well, I, I haven't even gotten halfway through it. I'm definitely like, you should read it. Okay. <laughs> Invisible what? Storm? Invisible storm. All right. All right, I've got an eight-hour... I'm driving to ElixirConf with Johnny from the local Elixir group. Johnny, friend awesome. of the show, Johnny Atsuka. Yeah, I drove last time, and it was great. Rode home with Samuel Mullins, and that was great. I had a lot of good conversations, so when we were getting ready to go, I was like, Johnny, we're driving. We also have oh, like 300 t-shirts, and I didn't yeah, want to... Well, you need to drive then. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to... I mean, I could... I could check them all at the airport, but I, they're, they're so heavy. I did not want to carry them around, like even to check in like now nah, we'll just toss them in the front of my car and go. So, yeah. And the, the overnight on, uh, if, if you did like shipping the overnight or, you know, even, even the ground to the hotel would be ridiculous. I thought about having them shipped directly to the hotel from the printer, 
because they had to pay to have them shipped to me anyway. Mm-hmm. The local printer didn't have all the shirts and couldn't get them fast enough for us, so we had to we had to go outside of here. And at least I think that was part of the problem. I don't remember because we have some shirts that were printed here and some that weren't. So, but mm-hmm. I thought about having them shipped there, and then I was like, I'm glad I didn't because we ended up sending a bunch of them back and saying, "Hey, you got to redo these." And yeah. they they're like, well, "Yeah, send one good one." Because there were some good ones and some bad ones. And they're like, send one good one and all the bad ones. And we shipped them back to them and they agreed. They're like, yeah, these didn't. They were like different colors. It was weird. Like, oh, like what? Like one, some of them were really dark and vibrant. I know that sounds weird. Dark. They were uh, mm-hmm. maybe thick. Like the coloring was laid on thick and it was super vibrant. And then the other ones were all faded and looked like it. They just hadn't had enough. Was, is it paint? I don't know what they actually use for screen print. I've done it before, and I don't know if it's paint or what it is. But it yeah, I think like, it's like some kind of acrylic. Yeah, yeah, and it's like they didn't put it on thick enough, and it's supposed to be vibrant. Like it looks kind of like a, like you know, like early nineties, late eighties esque. Yeah, that like Saved by the Bell, bright, very angular shapes on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. So. Some people will see that at the conference, although this will come out during the conference, so they won't hear about it until after they either have a shirt or don't. <laughs> yeah. So if you if you heard it here first, you you heard it too late. That's right. And we got Lazy River Comp shirts, so I'm super excited to be doing Lazy River Comp again. That was a good time last time. Floating around. I get to see yeah, I'm really sad. I, I can't join you all. It's okay. I mean, it is... Like end of August in Colorado, I'm not even sure if it's going to be warm enough, but I'll get in the water anyway. <laughs> so vacation for you next week, vacation for me last week. So yep. no recording next week because I'll be at ElixirConf and no you'll recording. be on vacation. And we shouldn't worry about recording while yep. we're on vacation. Absolutely not. Now, I mean, I guess I guess you could, uh, you know, we're floating around the lazy river, just like recorded onto your with Keith Lee and friends of the show oh that would be fun hmm wonder if i can get a microphone down there in the water and be safe (laughs) i have a microphone that plugs into the lightning connector on the phone and it's okay it even has a windscreen it might i might be able to do this might work all right i got now i gotta find that microphone i haven't touched it in like three years five years (laughs) oh so anything uh Anything code related going on? Not that I have really noticed. Uh, obviously, you know, our friends of the show have been very busy. You know, Mitch Hanberg, who recently was on, he's been improving all his uh, and NeoVim stuff for mm-hmm. Elixir. Uh, of course, Quinn has been working on her uh, data log and related stuff, uh, which is really exciting. And uh, wasn't there wasn't there some kind of uh, proposal from Jose that came state, through this state past month? State monad, somehow. something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My week has been a blur. Like when I'm gone for a week like that, now I'm playing catch up. So so I didn't get to read it, but I think it was I think it was state monad, some kind of monad. Sorry, Jose, we're completely wrong, but I think it was state monad. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it had, it had to relate. It related to uh, having. So the example given was something in Python, and you're talking about 
having conditional updates to mutable state from while iterating over multiple collections or like multiple sequences. And, you know, if you did this in a functional style, you have to pass that state in and receive it out as, as the result of that computation. And I think he was looking at some kind of syntactic way to, well, since you mentioned monads to lift uh, that mutation um, out of the loop and, and, uh, and make it part of, make it look like more like a mutable, like if you're incrementing a counter or something to be, it'll just look like incrementing a counter, not having to thread that state through every, every part of the iteration. I mean, I am all on board in finding a good way to do that. Right. Like, like that's the thing that drives me nuts all the time. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. and then, and then sometimes part of that state, I want the config to be in that. I like, I just want like a big block of stuff that gets passed down. Cause I don't like having to pass it down everywhere. And sometimes I need that mm-hmm. config everywhere, like for testing and everything else. So I want some top level config to go down and some kind of state to be shared between everything. But I still don't want it yeah, to that's, be that's, mutable at like a process. Like I don't want to. I don't want to do process store. Right. Oh yeah, that that would get way too ugly, and then having to keep track of cleaning that up and mm-hmm. like, is it even safe to do that? You know, could be could be a mess. Yeah, that that's that sort of thing they use. I think that's why you mentioned Monad, right? Um, they mm-hmm. use the reader writer state Monad pretty often in Haskell programs. I say it's a Monad. It's actually. I think it's a stack of monad transformers, which is like, we don't even need to talk about here, okay. uh, but that's like an implementation detail of Haskell. Um, but you get like some read only stuff that you can, you know, use the read function to, to get at. Uh, you have like an append only type of log like thing that you can say, write. So write this thing, write this thing. It's good for like traces or, you know, writing out log statements at the end of your, your computation. And then there's the state monad, which you can get and set. So those three things combined are like the core of a lot of stateful computations in Haskell. And if we can get that in Elixir or something like that, that's really powerful. And I want that just for my telemetry and events. And oh, no kidding. Because like <laughs> the other day I, I had something and I was like, all right, find all of the log messages there. Most of them are done through telemetry that have this request ID. And I noticed that there was one event where it just didn't get the request that he passed all the way through. And I was like, crap, because it was, you know, it's the one I'm working on. <laughs> of course, always, always that works that way. Yeah. But that, I, I think that's actually the most frustrating thing with functional programming for me is making sure I get all of that stuff passed in somewhere along the way. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like the best thing about it because I can reason about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think it um it makes it hard to separate those those things that are uh non-functional requirements of the system from the functional ones. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the example you gave telemetry is excellent because you have to pepper that through your code. Mm-hmm. And uh and then you know it can distract if you didn't do it well. It can distract from these the essence of what you're trying to do. Um, it can make it harder to read and understand that code later. 
But, you know, what, what would be really neat is to have that sort of abstraction and then you could inject different versions. So like you could, we already do some of this in, you know, X unit tests in places where you, you take um, like a, a test only implementation of something and stick it in place of something you would run in production, like a, like a test double. So, so like having that be a pluggable implementation detail that that could hopefully clean up some of the stuff. And then, you know, your, your telemetry might just be, well, I'm going to write this event to my event log. And then maybe that means it fires a telemetry handler. Maybe that means it, um, you know, writes a, a log message. Maybe it means it uh, puts a, a span into my distributed trace. Just, just have it. Now, see, now my head is just going to, how would I implement this? And yeah, I need to move past that because I will sit here and be silent for the next half hour while I think about it. <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I, you know, that's, I've been dealing with a lot of that distributed tracing. I, I don't know. I make distributed is a strong word here because it's, it's a gen server running within the application is the distribution. So it's distribution mm-hmm. within the application, but you still run into all of those same problems as if it was running on some other node somewhere else. And yep. you know, being able to trace those things helps find those race conditions that you know you don't think about. I think you saw where I yesterday I I just I went into the Kansas City Elixir Slack and was like, I love and hate distributed systems. <laughs> no context, <laughs> nothing else. Then just left. Yeah, that was it. Uh, was that's um, it running into race conditions? Like thought I had something completely figured out, and then we tried to do a bulk action and what and i like implemented the whole thing and i didn't even run it after i got it implemented i was like oh crap we have this race condition here this can't be implemented this way at all i was so mad so mad had to start over and but those problems are the ones that i think are the most fun to solve but it's great whenever you do realize it up front solve it up front but at the end of the day like when when you have two actors that can act on the same data, you have race condition possibilities unless you, like, I, I ended up saying I need to build a state machine. I, oh, mm-hmm. I should just start that way. I know better. You should, you should just build state machines, Amos. How many times have we discuss this on the podcast? <laughs> just build a state machine from day one. I know, but, like, it seems like every time I try to do a state machine up front, I end up either never needing it for real and it just adds overhead complication or, or I, I, I did the wrong thing. Hmm. So I, I have to does, get in this situation help where I you, use a little bit. Yeah, does it help you clarify your thought process though? Cause like for me, mm-hmm. even if I end up throwing out the state machine, sometimes it, it reveals things about what I'm trying to build and it points me in the right direction. Even if I'm like, yeah, the state machine's going to suck. I'm going to throw it out and do this like quasi-imperative thing. But oh, now I understand like the sequence of steps that it's supposed to go through. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, sometimes I just draw it on paper because I can do it quickly, and mm. and that I'll I'll use that to inform my decisions. But I think we so to tell you the truth, the state machine, I guess, is still there, right? It's just not, mm-hmm. it does, it's not explicitly implemented because maybe it doesn't need to be. Right. 
where I where I often start to have trouble in the whole situation, no matter which side I end up on, is you know I'll, I'll implement something and you know it works well for like one item, and now I need a group of items. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was just doing an Ecto update. Now I need to do update all. And that changes the whole way that everything works. And then I'm like, oh, now I need to build up the the query part because it behaves differently in this state versus that state and the update part. And, and I get like this overwhelming, like, ah, uh, sometimes uh, like I'll just, I'll just do it in its own function, the whole thing. But then I get copied <laughs> stuff and I'm like, ah, so, and I, I also do. I've run into a lot lately where start doing the state machine and everything, work my way down and then realize the best way to solve the distributed system problem is to take it out of the distributed system, make it not a problem. Right. Yes. Like if you can do it in the original transaction that kicks everything off, do it there. And a lot of Mm -hmm. our stuff is working on the same database. It's just like, this thing's probably going to take a long time. Let's put it in the background and make a, make a state out of it. But, you, I know you mentioned marking things as stale when I need to mark when I need to process them in the background, and that helped. And I did yeah. make a stale counter. That can, that can be a useful thing. I did a counter so that every time something's marked as stale, it just increments. Because my background processes that I'm doing right now are just calculating something, and so they can run multiple times. Doesn't matter, but at least I don't miss something. And then, then you might be able to identify churn. So if something is changing frequently. Mm-hmm. You're updating that that stale counter. You can say, "Well, why? You know, maybe look into it. Why is that thing changing frequently?" Now I got to put just because I got a that. bug in my system, uh, or or you know, um, we we've been using at work um, this thing called Retool, um, and it's just sort of a a way to build um, dashboards um, from like from your actual database or from like if you're exporting stuff to some other. Uh, data store that's just information about your app um but yeah like you know you could have a dashboard who where where are the what are the records that are changing the most often um it could reveal something about that particular user of your app that that record belongs to or it could reveal something about a bug (laughs) Mm or or just bad design if you have a particular or record that's yeah. changing constantly, just like code, like if you have a particular module that's changing all the time, maybe there's, maybe it's doing too much, maybe whatever. Mm-hmm. It definitely happens in data too. It's called Retool. Retool. Uh, there's a lot of products like that, but yeah, Retool is is uh, pretty cool. Does it work on any I can tell. any database really? Or yeah, it's cloud. Okay, so. I think it'll connect to anything on AWS and, you know, you can push data into it and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if you ever used a uh, Tableau once once. Yeah, me too. Is the answer that <laughs> I didn't build any of them. I just like consumed dashboards that people created. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I, I think I built one thing in Tableau. I was like, ah, oh, that's cool. I'm good. <laughs> I did. I, I needed. It gave me the information I needed, and it was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. And then I just never really needed it again. I kept wanting to like find excuses to use it, but never did until I was off of the project and didn't have access to it anymore. So that was it. That's all she wrote. <laughs>
Mm-hmm. <laughs> so other than reading a book, anything else exciting? I'm just like bouncing topics all over today. I'm, I'm all over the place. Oh yeah. Well, it's the hallway track, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got, um, you know, some, some errands to run, but also, uh, a friend of mine sent me a message, uh, this past week and, uh, they're doing at a, at a local theater. They're doing a screening of that new, uh, Lord of the Rings series that's on Amazon. Um, so they're going to screen two episodes of it, uh, at an actual theater. So I'm going to join him over there and is, go see it. It's like an open to the public or just a private event. Uh, not that I'm going to be in open town. to the public in, in, in air quotes, mm. uh, you like, you, you have to sign up for the fan club or whatever. And, and like the theater's loyalty program, and then you get it for free. Um, so it is technically open to the public, but you have to like jump through some hoops to get it. Interesting. I'm, uh, I, I've been pretty excited, like seeing all of those commercials for it. And I, I don't watch a whole lot of things. But, but that came up and how I found out about it was it was it popped up in my Twitter feed. It's one of the things that Twitter decided mm-hmm. I should look at. And for the yep. first time ever, I think Twitter was right. It, this was something I should look at. The rest of the time, I'm like, not interested, not interested. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, and this, uh, you know, I, I've always uh, enjoyed Lord of the Rings I, and, and like the, the Tolkien universe. Um, I'm not. I wouldn't call myself a hardcore fan. My friend who invited me is actually kind of a hardcore fan. Um, but uh, I'm, I was actually very excited because the uh, person who wrote the score, the composer of the score is Bear McCrary. Um, and he did the Battlestar Galactica reboot uh, that happened okay. um, in the aughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, excellent show. If you haven't seen that, that is worth watching from beginning to end. Um, that's the Cylons, right? But uh, yeah, okay. the Cylons. He, I did he, watch that's, all the way. That's the, the that. show. I won't give away the ending. Is that was a series that ended is, well? Yeah, um, and I, I don't. There were very few dud episodes in that in that series, uh, which so many series, and maybe it's because they had a plan for like a specific arc, and it was only going to take so long, um, and like so they could, you know, make every every episode meaningful. Um, but the, um, yeah, that was the, the series that bear, uh, cut his teeth on, uh, like right out of basically right out of, uh, school. Um, and, and he did, he did like, I think he did a summer with, uh, Elmer Bernstein, uh, like transcribing, rescoring. Elmer Bernstein is a famous film composer, the magnificent seven. Okay. Okay. The only film you know, composer that, I think I know. His most famous one. I think the only film composer I know by name is John Williams. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm terrible. But yeah, um, so so he and he did, you know, The Walking Dead, he did Outlander. Um I'm trying to remember what else he's done, but he uh, oh yeah, he did he did the most recent Chucky movie. I, I um, saw that they did a new one, like what like not that long it, ago. It was right? a couple years ago. Yeah. yeah. I was, I, it blew my mind. I thought, what is, I can't, I can't imagine anybody wanting to watch those, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> me neither. I, I mean, I liked watching hey, Chucky when I was a kid, but I saw one when I was about 25 and I was like, gosh, I can't believe I watched this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
but yeah, like the the I just love his his work. Um, so I'm eager to see what he does on this show. I did like uh, the the Walking Dead. Like mm. the soundtrack is is pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I didn't watch all the Walking Dead. After mm. a while, it was like okay, it's the same show again. <laughs> oh, it's more zombies. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're at a new location. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's either zombies or or selfish people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're fighting one or the other. There's a difference. <laughs> okay, maybe not. <laughs> they both will eat your brains if you let them. <laughs> oh man! But yeah, just gonna read, see nice. that show, enjoy my time off. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Don't code. And catch up with some other friends. Don't code. It's going to be hard because, <laughs> like, there's so many things I want to do just to learn. Um, and I don't have time in my regular work to do it. Um, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to do coding. You don't have time at your regular work to code or just not coding Elixir? Uh, not coding on things that I want to really learn. Like I'm, I'm still learning in areas where um, I haven't gone before. But like, there's some specific things that I want to try to learn um, in the near future, um, or or just to to play with, to get experience, um, understand some new some new problem domains. Uh, but I'm very focused on like particular ones for work, and they're rewarding. Um, but uh, sometimes it's it's uh, it's difficult to really expand my horizon. And I'm more like learning details about uh, about the the programming language because I'm using Rust at work now, um, or the uh, or the the libraries that I'm that I'm leaning on. It's it's more sort of that, and, and or like just algorithms, um, and unless oh, I want to like do something creative. Uh, with my code and um, I feel like maybe I was more adept at Elixir um, for doing something creative. Like if I had an idea, I could go try it out in Elixir with, without much effort. Like I have to put in a lot more effort with Rust. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and some of that is I'm newish to it. Uh, some of that is it's the, the bar is actually higher uh, with good reason. You know, you can talk about the types you can talk about, know the the efficiency you get out of the compiler you know like those sorts of things are bars you have to raise yourself to on the on the flip side people have done some really amazing things that are like way more efficient than they look like they would be so that's cool (laughs) but i have to put in the effort to get there and and like i haven't learned all of the all the pitfalls yet all of the things that i should watch out for do you run into them a lot or do you not even notice yet most of the ones I run into now are like, I think they're, they're things that I would run into in Elixir if I were like working my way through how to do an algorithm. But in Elixir, it requires less effort to change. So like, for example, if I, I started out with this one thing where I'm like, well, I'm going to call this method and it's, it's going to operate on one thing and return one thing. And I learned this week that, well, because uh, I'm doing sort of a transformation, 
I learned that those those things I'm transforming aren't one to one. Sometimes they're one to zero. Sometimes they're one to three, and <laughs> or or more. And and I have to account for that. So where and and the other part of that is, and this goes back to that like monad discussion a little bit. Um, but all of this is in the context of something that can fail. Um, so the types of my return values and my arguments and things have to have, you know, the, the, the result type in there somewhere, which represents like, well, you either get this thing or you get some error saying what went wrong. And the advantage of that, of course, is you can do early return type stuff. Like there's syntactical help for that, which is really great. But on the other hand, that means, well, if, if I've, how do you represent something that can fail, but also be optional? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like is the fact that it, there is no result is that an error or not <laughs> and those are just like problems i had to think through i'm not completely satisfied with my solution but in elixir i would be like well i'm if this thing fails i'm going to raise an exception if it's an actual failure and not something where i can you know have an okay or error tuple as a return value if it's an actual error i'll probably just raise an exception but there's no early return elixir. Like, so I would be probably factoring my functions down to where I've encapsulated the things that can be can be errors and uh and it's down to oh well, I'm just returning, you know, ret- returning that error, or I'm like capturing the result and then you know doing a case expression over it to whether I take my next step, or I'm using with, like with is a great example of how to handle those things. But, uh, but in, in, in Rust, I have to, have to think a bit harder about it and, and uh, spend more time restructuring when I need to change something. So is it, is it, do you think it's lack of familiarity with the language or do you think there's something inherent in Elixir that makes it easier, simpler? Well, I mean, part of it is that, you have essentially only one type. You have terms. Mm. And you can build those up in any way that you want. And then, you know, you can't you kind of expose that complexity to the other things that use the data you create. Um, in that they have to pattern match over it or uh, you know, or destructure or whatever you want to call it. But uh, on the Rust side, I would have to unify those different representations. Um, and at the right level. So like I have to make enumerations for things that can have multiple different, multiple forms. Um, or, uh, I have to choose a collection type. I can't just say, well, this is just a a map or a list and you know, the caller or the receiver of this data can figure out which one it is by pattern matching. Um, now I have to say, oh, this is a VEC or this is a, a hash map or this is a B tree map or something like that. That that's a significant difference. And and then it's uh, then there's all sorts of things where what you want to switch out is the behavior. Like so, in Elixir, you could say you could even go to use behaviors, but you might be able to just say, "Well, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna implement dispatch over the function head to figure out which implementation I want." Or you could use protocols. Is actually probably the better way, right? Mm-hmm. In Elixir, but but in uh, on the Rust side, you end up creating things like if you actually want dynamic dispatch and not just um, pre-compiled dispatch over multiple types, you have to say, well, this is a dynamic thing and it's actually a pointer, so I have to put a box around it. <laughs> 
so I know what size it is, and it's just like it gets it gets to be a mess. Um, and and so you tend not to use dynamic dis- dispatch when you can avoid it. Sorry, now I'm thinking. So the so it's not it it's not just a matter of like the type. Well, I guess it, that is a side of the type system. The side effect of the type system is the dynamic dispatch being tougher. But so that that strong typing with the benefits that it has, it's also like slows you down if you need to change something. I I think where it was slowing me down was was that conversion from this is one result into like this 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 thing has zero or more answers to this this algorithm and then the th- the thing about this particular one that was hard is that any one of those could have a failure case so like if i'm if i this this is a data transformation problem that i was working on so like i'm taking i got this this big json document and uh, i've pulled it apart into little pieces and i need to do things with particular pieces and one of those things is I need to create a number of data structures in Rust that have more compact representations of what the JSON specified. So they're like, I'm interpreting the JSON to create these data structures that I need on the Rust side. And, and so uh, that involves you know, in, in interpreting the types that um, are kind of flattened and and don't have clear discriminants on the in the JSON. It's not so like saying, "Hey, this thing is of this type," and I know this. It's sort of like, "Well, here's a structure that represents all these different types," and you kind of have to look at various keys of the of the uh, JSON object to figure out what this thing is and how you should interpret its fields. And then from there, I may have because because a difference in in the the system that this came from and the system that we're trying to pull this data into. I may need to create, like I said, zero. So like there's no representation on the Rust side or there's nothing of importance in that thing from the JSON, from the JSON object, but I still need to like process that thing. Or there's one, which is the easy cases, which I was starting with. Um, there's a one-to-one mapping or there's more than one. Like this has, you know, maybe it was stuffed into the same JSON object on in, in the the other application, but I want to split it into two or three in my Rust application because that makes more sense for how it does its work. So I have to have cases like handle cases for for zero and for one and for many. And each one of those things that could operate on this data may have a failure. So when I'm doing a certain kind of step with that data, I want to see, well, and this is all this is returning a vector, which is a, like a list essentially of results, which is sort of like an okay or an error tuple, right? And I have to decide, do I want any of those to succeed? Is it okay if any of them succeed? Should I only return a failure if none of them succeed? Or should I require all of them to succeed? And then so I had to make a transformation between this, you know, list of results into a result of a list. <laughs> Based on whether I want any of them or all of them to succeed, um, and I know this this seems like oh yeah you just like call the enum all function <laughs> an elixir it's easy right <laughs> or the enum any I had to implement that basically and and so 
you know, not only did I have to think about, well, I've got to change the, the signature of this function, the type signature of this function, so that it can return a result of a list of something, result of a vec of something, or, or I have to change it, um, and, and I like have to restructure the computation inside so that it creates a list always. Anyway, uh, so like this is a really long-winded way of saying this would have been easier in Elixir. <laughs> it makes sense, though. Uh-huh. Anyway, now that I've I've uh, completely you've obliterated my brain, giving you brain explode. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I'm like in my, in my experience with any typed language, I I feel the same way. Like something that is very strongly typed is that yes, I I like the the guarantees that the types give me but it also kicks my butt and it's the reason why I end up not reaching for them for the things that I have to do. Mm-hmm. And I can't, I can't do anything quickly in a, in a typed language from me. I, there are other people that I'm sure that they're like, Oh yeah, I prototype everything in Haskell cause it's way easier for me. I, I can't do that. <laughs> right? like, no way. It did take me a year and it's not just familiarity with the language. It's like that, ability to swap things out somewhere along the path without having to worry about the impact that has all the way up the whole path. Yeah. And I, I think if you've structured it correctly, you can make those sorts of changes without affecting the entire program. If you've structured it badly, then yes, every time you change something small, you're going to have to change your entire program. Everything I do Uh, is badly. (laughs) Maybe better stay in Elixir, Amos. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I should have. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I get a lot for free because of the, you know, similar to how Elixir felt when I came to it after working in Erlang. You get a lot for free because the standard library is really well thought out. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that way about Rust. Um, on on the other hand, yeah, there's there's a lot more documentation to read and a lot of things to understand that you know some of them feel not essential to the problem some of them are because of the paradigm i'm working in but you know like i don't really care about whether that thing i'm looking at is a reference or not most of the time (laughs) unless i actually want to control whether it's owned by this function or not i don't know like um and in that case it's like well why do i care (laughs) you handle it elixir be like sure i'll handle it for you everything's a copy when you're done with it i'll throw it away Uh, yeah (laughs) done (laughs) don't care (laughs) Do whatever you want to it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get kicked out of this room. There are already people vulturing outside. I only I only had the room cool. until um, a couple minutes from now. So I guess that's the end of the show for today. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed the wild ride, I, listeners. <laughs> I hope you followed it. Like I had a, I should have been taking yeah. notes. It would have been easier. <laughs> Yeah, and, and go see Amos at ElixirConf and get your shirt. Yeah, yeah. So Lazy River Conf, we're floating around, although you're probably too late if you're listening to this. So it was, it was a, we had a great time. I'm just going to say that now. It's early, but we had a great time at Lazy River <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> All right, Sean, have a wonderful day. Yeah, see you next time. I will catch you later.